Well, good morning, good people. My name is Fred Nolan, your pastors, and uh, most of you know this, I'm from Michigan and an avid Michigan State fan uh, during March Madness, but the rest of the year, pretty much a fake fan, most of you know that. But there's something about Michigan that uh, when I think about it, even though I've been here about 25 years, when I think about Michigan and going to my parents' house, there's something that just reminds me of home. So as I'm heading up on 31 North and I start seeing some signs, I see a sign for Holland. And I think about when I was a kid and my dad would hold me, we'd, we'd smash in the waves. He said we would fight the waves in Lake Michigan. I think about going there as a high school student. Of course, I think of Holland as a, another name for the Netherlands, which as most of you know is where Dutch people are from, my ancestry. And so it makes me think of the Tulip Festival, uh, one of the, the largest festivals in the country. I think about Holland Beach where I proposed to my wife. As we continue up 31 North, we go on 96 East and I see the exit for Byron Road. And I'm from Byron Center. And so Byron Road heads right into downtown Byron Center. As I pull into my parents' driveway, there's just a flood of memories that come into my mind about home. I remember playing wiffle ball on our front yard. I don't think grass grew on home plate, pitcher's mound, any of the bases. For years, we played wiffle ball with my neighbors on that field. Um, I'm blessed to still have both parents alive. So my mom, praise God, we celebrate that, turns 86 today. We give a shout out? Yeah. For, uh, give a shout out for Gautje uh, No. Literally means Goldie. So Goldie, my dad is 89. And uh, we were there about a month ago. And uh, as we walked the 40 acres that they still have there that he loves to walk, literally 89 years old, my wife and I are behind him. And he looks back and he says, the second walk of the day, he says, you guys are pretty good walkers. He says, as we're keeping up, he's 89 years old. But we go across the farm lane and I see not the, not the creek, not the stream, the crick. We called it a crick. And there was a hole there by the culvert where I would fish on Sunday afternoons. There were salmon, if the conditions were just right, that would spawn up from Lake Michigan and come all the way up that creek. I know this isn't even legal, but we'd spear them with pitchforks. We really did as kids. We, we did that. And it just reminds me of home. And as we wrap up the series on my people on Exodus today, God's one big desire is for us to come home with him for us to be home with him. And he takes so many steps of initiative just to bring us home. There's so many signposts of that. So as we think about what we've studied in this series already, about God calling Moses from the burning bush and about the plagues that uh, God demonstrated to Egypt to bring his people out of Egypt into the wilderness, crossing the Red Sea, coming down to Mount Sinai, uh, providing quail and manna, all these things that we've studied in Exodus, all those things honestly, take up a relatively small amount of the book of Exodus compared to what we're going to look at today. So naturally, they've given me the most important part of the book of Exodus. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the largest part, it's about a third of the book. And that means something today. It really means something. There's so many signposts in the tabernacle that I just pray that God can make that clear to us today. The author of uh, the book, um, The Shadow of Christ and the Law of Moses, he says that his tent, God's tent, the tabernacle, had rooms and a yard and a fireplace just like their own. So it doesn't make sense really to us that, that we would build a big tent. I mean, why would we do that? Well, they were nomads. They lived in tents. And so this was like a home to them, and it made sense. There's one thing I desperately want you to learn today. There really is just one message. If you learn nothing else today, God just wants to be with you. He just wants to be with you. 
There's so many steps he takes to have a relationship with you. And we're going to look at some of those details today, but I'm going to need some help. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll ask God to lead us. You bow your heads with me, please. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity to teach your word. Um, God, for so many reasons, I feel unworthy today. But uh, we know, oh God Almighty, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. And every single one of us that believe in Jesus. So Father, speak power through your inspired word today. Lord, we know that when it goes out, it won't come back void. It won't come back empty. So touch hearts and change lives like only you can, Father. Work Holy Spirit today in a powerful way. Help me to stay out of the way. I just pray that the words of my mouth and meditations of all our hearts will be pleasing to you, Lord God. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm gonna give you a, an, an overview um, of what God has done. So buckle your seatbelts, okay? Get prepared. We're gonna go kind of fast. Don't uh, have your arms outside the ride, and I'm not responsible for any lost, loose articles as we go through this. So the truth is that the Bible is God's consistent and repeated plan to be with us. So the Garden of Eden was a beautiful garden. God dwelt there. There's even indication there of gold and onyx, which are some of the things that are used in the tabernacle and continue to point to God's plan. But we messed it up. We messed it up. Adam and Eve sinned. They were banished from the garden. And so that relationship was forever broken. So what did God do? He chose his people. He brought them out of Egypt. He came down to Mount Sinai but that relationship was broken. The people couldn't even touch the foot of the mountain. They had to stay separated from God. Only Moses and, and, and his assistant Joshua could go up there. Then comes the tabernacle and the temple, and that's what we're gonna focus on today. And there's signposts, like I said, in that tabernacle and then in a the temple that's modeled after the same design, pointing to the next huge step of God's plan to be with us, and that is Jesus, who fulfilled so many things that the tabernacle points to. Even this here. This, the local body, the church of Jesus Christ, and Christians ourselves is part of God's plan to be with us. So Christians, people that believe in Jesus, we are called, our body is called the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives within us and ultimately our eternal home in heaven. And the tabernacle points to those things as well. So I want to give you just that overview as we, as we dive into the tabernacle. Those are the pieces that God has, and many other things in between there, but those are the big things, the big steps God has taken to be in relationship with us. And why? Again, because God just wants to be with you. He just wants to be with you. Why do we keep him at arm's distance? He's taken so many steps to have a relationship with us. He loves us so much, and he continues to reach out to us. We continue to pull back and get distracted. Not just you but me too. Not standing up here acting like I don't do that. So as we look at the tabernacle, this is God's temporary plan to be with us. It's not a permanent plan. It's not perfect. And we'll see what he even shows in the tabernacle to display this isn't perfect. This isn't eternal, but it's a, it's a temporary plan. So turn with me. We're going to be in Exodus 25 and following. We're going to jump into uh, a few different chapters. But Exodus 25 verse 8 um, if you brought your Bibles, great. If you didn't, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. If you don't have a Bible or you want that one, take it home with you. I'm not kidding you. We want you to take that Bible home. If you don't have one, if you need a Bible, please grab that. Um, I won't judge you if you're looking on your phone. Uh, on Exodus, I do that as well, but follow along if you would. This verse will be on the screen. Exodus 25, verse 8, God says, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. That is huge. So he can live among them. God was in heaven. He was distant. 
He was far away. He's the, the thunder, the lightning up on the top of Mount Sinai. But he wants them to build a tabernacle so he can be with them. Now, I want you to read Exodus 25 to 30 on your own, but uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a detail guy. Those of you that have had to suffer through some of my stories, my wife will sometimes be like, get to the point. Like, the train's left the station. I'm sharing all the details. I don't care about the body language. I'm finishing the story. And maybe you know people like that. Those of you that know me well know. This is a lot of details. A lot of details. Build the ark this, this length, this width, this height. Acacia wood covered in gold on the inside and the outside. We want these rings to be made of gold and the pole and all these incredible details. Stitch this according to this. I mean, it's, it's incredible how much time and how much space in Scripture God devotes to the details, the design of the tabernacle. And again, there's a reason for that. And then later, the building of the tabernacle. Lots and lots of details. But what I think is really interesting is that just like with the quail and the manna, God could have just caused all these provisions just to be there. Gold, onyx, ram skin, acacia wood. They could have defeated an enemy. They could have had everything they wanted, everything they needed for the tabernacle. He could have just said, let it be there, like the quail and a man, it would have been there. He didn't do that. Because so often we see that he uses his people to accomplish his work because that itself produces intimacy. So this tabernacle is going to be a place of intimacy and a place of relationship, but he's also asking the people to bring things. So take a look with me at Exodus 35, flip about 10 chapters down, because the rest of that is a lot of details of all the, the building construction. Exodus 35, verses 4 to 5, and then we're going to jump down to 10. So Exodus 35, verse 4. This is, uh, Moses said to the whole community of Israel, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take a sacred offering for the Lord. Let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to the Lord. Gold, silver, and bronze. Goes on and on and on. Jump down to verse 10. And then he says, come, all of you who are gifted craftsmen, Construct everything that the Lord has commanded. So he's asking for provisions and he's asking for gifts and time of sacrifice. Because we step into that sacrifice, we develop intimacy. On the other side of blessing, on the other side of obedience is, is blessing. We see that again and again and again. So listen to what happened. This is amazing. Exodus 36, 4 to 7. Exodus 36, verses 4 through 7. It says, finally the craftsmen were working on the sanctuary, left their work. They went to Moses and reported, the people have given more than enough materials to complete the job God has commanded us to do. So they've given enough. So Moses gave the command, and this message was sent through the camp. Men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. Imagine it happened on a Sunday morning. Don't give any more. Y'all give it enough, please. Thank you for your generosity, but just stop giving. What pastor has ever said that? They said, we have more than enough. Stop giving. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings. Their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. They dove into that opportunity to take a step deeper in relationship with God. They sacrificed not only what they had, but, but they were gifted people for the bronze and the gold, but also the, the sewing of some of the ram skins and, and some of those kind of things. And so as we talked about this message, um, I thought, you know, I think this is a great opportunity for us to focus on generosity, even if it's just for a moment. It's not the, the point of this whole message, but it's a piece of it. And so we take time every week to celebrate generosity. And we're going to do that right now in the middle of this sermon. 
because there's nothing that says that the offering has to be done right with the Lord's Supper. And so we move some things around sometimes if it makes sense. And so there's a number of ways to give here at White River. They're going to be on the screen behind me. Some of you jumped the gun and are passing the blue bucket. Thank you. Go ahead. Pick up the blue bucket if you're on the left-hand side of the pew and send it over to the right. And uh, we'll have the servers come down um, a little bit later in the service uh, to pick those up, but just leave those on the right-hand side. And um, I, I want to share an example with you all that a lot of you would never even know. Not only the generosity of White River in terms of giving every week and, and large offerings have been incredible, but even with service. So we had a family that's been coming here for quite a while. They come to our food pantry every week to supplement their income and to provide for their needs. And they had a, they had a, a pretty serious trailer fire where they live. The whole back of the trailer was burned. And now they called me distraught and stressed out. They were displaced. They needed an electrician to check out what was happening. So I called a couple electricians that are associated with White River. And now both of them called me. And I actually did have to tell the second one, I don't need you. I've got the first one. I already responded. He's heading up there. Checked it out. We have some, uh, some people that do home repair behind the scenes. And so I called one of them and a couple of people that can grab materials. They started doing some work on there. The second electrical company made a couple of visits. And uh, before long, they're, they're wrapping up some final work, um, even in the next couple of weeks, I believe. Uh, but they transformed that burned and damaged house back into a home. And I know they stepped into a deeper intimacy, but they also showed this family what the love of God is all about. There's another step I think is important. Several times, don't look these up, but just in Exodus 25 verse 9, 25 verse 40, 26, 30, 27 verse 8. God tells Moses, build it just as you were shown on the mountain. Build it just as you were shown on the mountain. So how did that happen? God's up on the mountain and he's giving all these details, all these designs. But how did, how did God show Moses how to build this up on this mountain? It made me think of a, of a parent and a child showing them how to do something, a skill that they have. And uh, I thought about my dad. And uh, there was a time on a hobby farm, we had over 100 Angora goats up on this farm. And uh, my dad said, well, we need some feeders. We get about feeders, but he wants to keep his son out of trouble, so he has him make the feeders. So he shows me all these little slats we got to build, and then these crossbars, and, and we put one together. And there's just an intimacy there, how he's showing me how to build this, and then he lets me build it. And as you step into service, the same thing happens. First, you're like, I don't know how to build a goat feeder or lead kindergartners, or teach a class, or lead a small group, or whatever it might be. But God, in his intimate time with you, he'll show you how to do that. And as you step into that, your relationship with him will grow. That's a powerful step in, uh, in growing deeper in that relationship. Now, there's many things we can step into that God teaches us more about himself. But the, the point is that God really just wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. And there's a number of ways we can take those steps, but that's, that's the bottom line. And so I want to take a look at, at Jesus, God's ultimate plan to be with us. So the tabernacle is a, is a temporary plan. It's a temporary plan that points to Jesus in so many ways. I can't wait to show you this. It's, it's so fun to study these things and then to come here on a, on a Sunday and share this with you, what God has, has shown me. And I've, I've seen a lot of these things over the years, but there's a couple things even last week that uh, he's opened up my eyes too. And so I want you to know that um, as we put the image of this tabernacle on the screen, let's, let's throw that up there. I want you to know that the entire outer court of the tabernacle, it really isn't that big. The entire perimeter of everything is about 75 feet by 150 feet. It's about the size of, a, of an average um, house lot per se. And there's many things in there that have deeper, deeper meaning. Um, there's a, 
It's a home, God's home is a home for mercy. And so the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies is a place where the high priest would meet once a year and where the mercy of God was shown. There's um, the, the presence, uh, the, the table of presence or the table for the showbread where the, where the bread would be. And that's the fellowship of God with the bread on that table. There's the, the menorah or the lampstand, as it's called, which is the light that gives us the, the light um, for us to walk with the Lord as we see that illustrated and brought out to Jesus Christ later. Um, there's so many um, even details of the ark. For example, the ark is about the size of the footstool of the kings of the near, near ancient Near East. So the kings would sit on a throne and they'd put their feet on a footstool. And this ark was about the size of that. As if God was sitting in his throne of heaven, which he is, and his feet resting down on earth on the ark. The Ten Commandments were in the ark. And the practice was when a king would defeat a nation, they would put copies of the covenant of the treaty in the temple of their deities. And that would show that, that this king was in charge of this nation and their people were the vassals of the servants. And it was recognized by both parties. And so God is their king and Israel are their servants. But I want you to, to listen to, um, you can turn to me if you want. John 1 verse 14 is a powerful illustration of how Jesus fulfilled so many elements of the tabernacle. John 1 verse 14 says, so the word became human and made his home among us. The word became human and made his home among us. This is literally, he pitched his tent among us. The word for home is tabernacle. Dwelling or home, the way it's translated here, is tabernacle. Jesus, the word, tabernacled among us, is literally what it means. So Jesus is the true bread. He's the true bread. And as we see, if you want to turn with me to, to John 6, and uh, we're in verse 35, John 6, verse 35. There's the table, on the, on the, or the bread on the table of presence in the tabernacle. And in John 6, verse 35, Jesus replies, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. He fills that. He fulfills that. Jesus is the true light represented by the lampstand. Flip over a couple chapters to John 8, verse 12. John 8, verse 12 says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus is our, our only true way home. Now, again, it's temporary. It's not perfect. It's not final. And I want to show you some of the illustrations and the pieces that God has in that design to even show that it's not the ultimate plan for salvation. Turn back with me into Exodus. Exodus 26. Look at me. Exodus 26, verse 31. Exodus 26, verse 31. Read through 33. It says, For the inside of the tabernacle, make a special curtain of finely woven linen, decorate it with blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and with skillfully embroidered cherubim. Angels. Hang this curtain on gold hooks attached to four posts of acacia wood. Overlay the posts with gold and set them in four silver bases. Hang the inner curtain from clasps and put the Ark of the Covenant in the room behind it. This curtain will separate the holy place 
from the most holy place or in our image. Let's go ahead and put that image back up there again. The most holy place is also sometimes called the holy of holies. So you have this, this curtain that separates the holy place from the most holy place to the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant was. And on that curtain was woven angels, cherubim. And it separated people from the holy place to the holy of holies, where the presence of God is just beyond that veil with the Ark of the Covenant. And only the high priest could go there once a year. And the angel, again, is, is an illustration of the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden and not allowed to come back in, God, it says in Genesis, God posted an angel to protect the way back into the Garden of Eden demonstrating that, that that relationship wasn't right. We were separated. And in the tabernacle, there's, there's that reality as well where we can't step into that place. But God provided sacrifice of animals. Even in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, the first innocent blood that was shed of animals was so that Adam and Eve could have animal skins as clothing. God provided that. Innocent blood was shed because they were aware of the, their nakedness. And in the tabernacle, and for generations and generations, there were sacrifices that were made of animals. And the sacrifice that took place there was a, a constant illustration that there was a payment for sin. An innocent animal died in the place of an Israelite, where the Israelite should have died because of their sin. An animal died. Innocent blood was shed. And they were reminded of that continually, because the truth is it takes sacrifice to be with God. Forgiveness, salvation, those are free gifts, but deep intimacy with God, it takes sacrifice. God asks for people to bring their provisions. He asks them to take steps and to build this tabernacle. And continually, he's asking them to take steps to deepen that relationship with him, to show that sacrifice. And I want to show you an illustration of that in Exodus chapter 29, verse 42. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 29, verse 42. It says, God directs Moses that these burnt offerings are to be made each day from generation to generation. Burnt offerings are to be made every single day. Offer them in the Lord's presence at the tabernacle entrance. There I will meet with you and speak with you. I will meet the people of Israel there in the place made holy by my glorious presence. Yes, I will consecrate the tabernacle and the altar. And I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will live among the people of Israel and be their God. And they will know that I am the Lord their God. I am the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I could live among them. I am the Lord their God. So burnt sacrifices were offered daily in the altar that was just inside the tent. The first thing the people would come to when they walked into the, the tent would be the altar where those sacrifices were made. They were reminded of their sin instantly when they walked into that from the outer courtyard. Exodus 30, verse 6, turn with me there. This is the, the deep relationship and the anticipation of meeting with God that he promises. Exodus 30, verse 6. It says, place the incense altar just outside the inner curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant in front of the Ark's cover the place of atonement that covers the tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. And I will meet with you there. 
I will meet with you there. Can you imagine what that was like when God was thunder and and lightning on top of the mountain? And then he says, build this tabernacle and I will meet with you there. He's coming down into the neighborhood. I don't know if you remember if you're married, your first date with your spouse, or if you're not married, a a date you've had recently, and, and that anticipation of meeting them. Maybe it's when you went to go pick someone up at a prom or homecoming or, or maybe when you were going to be picked up. Um, just did a wedding last night and now they talked about the, the first date, how they were so excited. And then she was 10 minutes late and he thought he was going to be stood up. Maybe that's your experience. I don't know. But I remember going to Olson Hall at Taylor University and uh, picking up my then girlfriend, Elisa, and uh, my now wife for a date without a car. So I'd pick her up and we'd go for a walk. I, I'd borrow a car occasionally and took her on a date. But I just remember waiting there in the lobby and uh, anticipating and expecting her to come down the stairs. Um, can you imagine the anticipation of meeting God there in the tabernacle and how exciting that would be? We have that opportunity whenever we want. Any moment we want to take to worship God, to meet with him, we have that opportunity. It's powerful. So it takes sacrifice to be with God. It takes sacrifice of time. It takes sacrifice of putting your priorities aside to make him first. But here's the exciting part. I want you to, to turn me to John 14, verses 2 and 3. John 14, verses 2 to 3. Jesus represents our eternal way home. And all these steps, all these details in the tabernacle, they're fulfilled by Jesus. So listen to what he says in John 14, 2 to 3. There is more than enough room in my father's home. He says this the night before he died. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Jesus talks about taking us to his father's home that there's more than enough room there. He's going to prepare a place for his disciples. He's going to prepare a place for us. And the tabernacle was an illustration of that. But as you would stand there facing the Holy of Holies, with the lampstand on the left and the showbread on the right, you've got the curtain in front of you. There's a demonstration of the inaccessibility of God. You've got the promise of light and direction for your life. You've got the promise of fellowship but you're also reminded that you can't go into the presence of God. This is where it gets really good. Turn with me to show how Jesus opens our way home. Matthew 27, verse 50. Turn with me there. Matthew 27, verse 50. So then Jesus shouted out again, just as he's hanging on the cross, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So the temple that's in the tabernacle, later they built the permanent temple, the more permanent temple, and the veil, the curtain that blocked the way to the Holy of Holies, when Jesus died, it literally, God ripped it from the top to the bottom, opening up up full access for us to God. Before it would just be the high priest that would go there. But Jesus' death opened up that access for us to go directly to God. This was after generations and generations and generations of the Israelites not being able to do that. We, I think we take that for granted. But the power of that is, is absolutely incredible. To go even further, it even points to heaven. So many things in the construction of the tabernacle and the temple point to heaven. The Holy of Holies was 15 feet by 15 feet by 15 feet. It was a cube. When John is in heaven, he sees that the, the, the city of heaven where we'll live forever is a perfect cube. 
Just listen to this, these scriptures. Revelation 21 verse 22 says, I saw no temple in the city. The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So literally all of heaven is like the Holy of Holies. It is an intimate relationship with God. It's a perfect cube, just like the space that God had provided in the tabernacle only for the high priest, and then the temple only for the high priest. Jesus died, and we're promised to have that perfect celebration with God. Also, the light, the lampstand, it's referenced in Revelation 21, 23 to 24, says, and the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. God's ultimate glory is a light. We experience that for all eternity in heaven. Here's, here's our ultimate goal. The glorious presence of God that we can experience every single day. If we take the sacrifice to go to his presence, listen to what happened in the tabernacle. Exodus 40, turn with me there if you're still in Exodus. If you have a, a finger in Exodus, turn with me to Exodus 40, verse 34. Told you to hold on tight. Thanks for hanging with me. Here we go. This is the culmination, but this is incredible. Exodus 40, verse 34 to 38 says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could, could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. This is our goal. God's glory completely filling the tabernacle and the people being in the presence of God all the time. As your pastor and as your leaders, we don't want to do anything that's outside of God's presence. As we seek God's presence and his direction, we don't want to move if the Spirit of God is not telling us to move, just like the Israelites. They didn't move if the cloud didn't move. And if we don't sense God taking a step, then we don't want to go. But as soon as it moves, we want to be in his presence. We want to be aware of that. We want to follow it courageously. And that's, that should be your goal as well, to practice that presence of God and experience that glory that you can experience. Because the bottom line is, and we have complete access to this, that God just wants to be with us. He just wants to be with us. So I got a couple challenge questions I want to leave you with today. We're going to sing a song here after I pray in just a moment, The Great I Am. And it's the great I am that we worship, that we have the opportunity to step into, relationship with. He's taken every step possible to give us the opportunity to do that. We just need to turn to him. So first question is, how do you sense God working to be with you? When you look in your life, how do you sense God taking that step reaching out to you, taking initiative. We, we saw through the Bible, but how about personally? Where do you see him working? And then lastly, how will you take a step this week to be with God and experience his glory? What will you do? Have you set time aside to step into his glory, to, to step into that place that used to be inaccessible? But because of Jesus, we can have direct access to God. What will you sacrifice? What will you do? Take a step of serving to experience more intimacy with him. Think about that as we sing this next song and as you go into your week. Let me pray for you. Great and good Heavenly Father, I thank you and uh, I praise you, Lord, for your word. Oh, dear God, I thank you for your perfect plan. God, thank you for the way that you have reached out to us time and time again to have a deeper relationship with us, Lord, making yourself accessible. 
Lord, we have such a reverence, such an awe, a respect, and a healthy fear of you. Lord, but we also know that you're our intimate, loving Father. Show us, God, how we can experience that relationship in your glorious presence more than ever before. Praise in Jesus' name, amen.